0: For those that are with us for the first time, I'm Jason, I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're with us in person or you're with us online, uh, I'm really hopeful that you'll stick around for our Advent series. We're working through the famous love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And we're going to get there in a moment, but I said last week that we're doing this for a couple of reasons. We're studying 1 Corinthians for two main reasons. The first, is that we really want to slow down this Advent season and to think about the love of Christ, to really meditate on and consider the love of Christ, the love of Christ that came down to us at Christmas. But we also want to do this, secondly, to understand how his love to us is supposed to activate his love in us, right? His love to us is supposed to activate his love in us. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about activation. And last week when I was up here, I noticed there's a bunch of kids that attend our services. I was really thinking about you guys. And how can I make this stick? How can I make this idea of Jesus' love to us activates love in us? And so I got a visual, and I'll say it's for the kids, But really, it's just as much for the adults, because us adults need visuals as well. So I'm going to get out my supplies here. Ezra, I'm going to need my buddy Ezra, my son Ezra, to come up and give me a hand. I'm going to give you guys some ponchos, okay? This is what it would be like if we were at church at SeaWorld, all right? We're going to make a little bit of a mess, and Ezra's going to be my helper here. Okay, so, just set that right there, bud. You want to say hi to our friends? Wave hi. All right. Ezra, do you know who Bill Nye the science guy is? No. no. Okay. I am apparently failing as a father. Bill Nye is a famous science guy. Do you think your dad knows as much about science as a science guy? No. Okay. Appreciate the honesty. You are right. I spent a lot of time this week on YouTube, and I spent a lot, lots of time talking to some of you moms at how I can make this point, this idea of God's love activating love in us, how can I do that? And so you moms have helped me out. And so, Ezra, we're going to do something here, and you're going to help me. Now, i got a couple questions. Do you know about the mess we're going to make right now? Okay, do you still think we should do this in church? Okay, so when Mr. Lynch and when Mr. Sharp call me later on to tell me about this mess that we're about to make, can you take the phone call? Can I give the phone to you? All right, sweet, so you're a good partner. I want you to hold that for a second. We're talking about this idea, church, that that Christ's love to us, Christ's love came down to us at Christmas, and his love to us is supposed to activate love in us. Let's see how this is supposed to work. I'm going to hold this. And Ezra, when I say so, you're going to pull this card, okay? One, and then you're going to back up, okay? One, two, three, go. There it is. Good job, buddy. You did it. Sweet. All right. Don't go too far after church because we got a mess to clean up, and I'm going to need your help. That's it. That's my whole sermon. That's the whole Advent series. Let's close in prayer. Okay? Christ's love comes to us, and it's meant to activate love in us. Good? Christ's love to us activates love in us. That's what we're trying to understand. Now, don't tune out. Okay? Don't don't tune out now that the science project is over. Let's think about this for a couple of minutes. Let's consider this together. How? I want to ask that question. How? How does Jesus' love to us activate his love in us? How does that work? How does he change us? How does he have that effect on us? That's what we're studying. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. Before we answer the how question, we've got to ask the why question. Why does Jesus have to come and do that in the first place? Or another way to ask the question is, what stops our love? Why is it hard to be activated into love? What hinders our love? What blocks it? Why did Jesus have to come in order for our love to be activated in such a powerful and unique way? That's what we learn in the book of 1 Corinthians. We talked last week about this church. We talked about some of the issues that this church was experiencing. They were all about the gifts. In fact, that was the emphasis that they had in their church, the spiritual gifts And how much you had of them, and and who had what? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, so before we're in 13, flip back just a few chapters to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we understand a little bit of the background as to why they may have focused so much on all of these gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 Look at verse 1. Paul writes, But but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. Even now you're, you're still not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, "I follow Paul," and another, "I follow Apollos," are you not merely being human? What's the deal, Paul? What are you trying? What, what's the issue that you're trying to address? Well, it's this: they were all hung up on who their leaders were. They were all hung up and focused on who they aligned themselves with, and not only that. But their leader reflected well or poorly on them. So the more credentialed your leader was, the more gifted your leader was, the more cachet your leader had, the more prestige, the more authority, the more power, that boded very well for you. It was a status symbol. How influential, how gifted was my leader This is what Paul is saying here. So if you skim down to verse 21 in chapter 3, Paul says, don't do this. Let no one boast in men. Stop this boasting. Stop this focus on externals. Stop this emphasis so much on the gifting that you have or that your leaders have. That's, you're missing the point. So when we turn now to 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul is picking up, on this idea where he's coming back to this idea of what it means to be truly spiritual not of the flesh but to be truly spiritual he's circling back to these things turn now to 1 Corinthians 13 verse 2 Paul writes and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith So as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. See, I can have all these gifts. I can have all these external, impressive gifts. Prophetic powers, which simply means I have the ability to effectively communicate God's word to God's people at just the right time in just the right way. All these prophetic powers. I can understand all mysteries. Mysteries in the Bible simply means things that God had formerly concealed, He has now revealed. So God's plan through the ages, now made known to us mainly in Jesus, these mysteries, I can understand all of God's wonderful plans. I can have all knowledge of God. I can understand who he is and how he works. I can understand his word and how it applies to my life. I can have all this knowledge. I can have gifts of faith. I can have this extraordinary measure of faith to move mountains, to do the impossible, to even heal people. I can have all of these gifts, Paul says. But look at the math that he does prophetic power plus understanding all mysteries and all knowledge plus all faith minus love equals what? Zero. So kids, you can write this down. This is the only time you're going to get this equation right. Four Plus, or four minus one equals what? Zero. I can have all of these things, right? If I think I'm somebody because of the gifts I have, I'm really nobody. If I think I'm really something because I've got all of these gifts, but I don't have any love, I'm nobody. Nothing. You see, what Paul is doing is he's not only correcting the false thinking in that time, in that society, he's putting a thermometer into the church. He's taking the temperature. And when that thermometer goes in and the gift measurement appears, that thing is through the roof. We know, he says, this church was really, really gifted their gift thermometer, their gift temperature through the roof. But when it came to love, not so much. Not so much. So then the question we have to ask is, what about us? What about me? What's the temperature in my life when it comes to love? I can have all of these gifts, all of these externals, all these impressive things going on for me. But if I lack love, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. We all have things, don't we? We all have things that we tend to fall back on. Maybe it's your good looks. Maybe it's your intelligence in some way. Maybe it's some success that you've been able to achieve. All of us have these things. Maybe it's some athletic ability, some talent, some, some artistic talent that you have. All of us have things that if we're honest, we kind of fall back on, we rely on, we like to trust in. Sometimes we even like to boast in them. Or maybe we're the type of person that's constantly comparing ourselves with others and, and always feels, I don't really do anything well. I'm really nothing special. And that kind of leaves me always depressed. You see, either way, whether we're falling back on one of our strengths, something we're good at, or we're constantly comparing ourselves and coming up short, either way, we all have this tendency to have a preoccupation with ourselves. And if we don't think that this is true... Why is it so hard when we feel like we're behind, and why is it so much easier when we're ahead? If we don't think this is true, think about the last time that somebody else was kind of put forward. Somebody else's name got in the spotlight. Somebody else got honored, and you didn't. Why is it so difficult sometimes in those moments to really celebrate the successes of others? instead of secretly wishing we were the ones that were getting the honor. Or think about the last time you have received some critique or some correction. Do you just sit there? Oh, I love critique. I love when people correct me. This is a real opportunity for me to grow. We don't respond like that. And is it not because we find worth, we find our value in, we find our security in how well we perform? That's why it's easy to fall back on things that we're good at. We find our value there. We find our worth there. We're excited when we stand above the rest. We're not so excited when we're behind we tend to focus and emphasize, just like the Corinthians did, on things external. Now tell me if this hasn't happened in your house before, especially those of you with younger kids. I bet you it's going to ha- It happens in our house, or at least it did. And I bet you it's going to happen in some of your homes this Christmas. Vicki and I, we get these gifts... And we wrap them all up. Sometimes if they don't come in boxes, we put them in boxes and we fill them with stuff so that there's excitement when you get to the gift. And once the gift is discovered, for like two minutes, they're all hype about the gift. And then for the next four hours, they play with the styrofoam and the cardboard box. So apparently over the years I could have saved a lot of money because apparently cardboard and styrofoam is sufficient to keep them occupied, not this toy. I think we do that. Whenever we focus so much on the externals, whenever we focus so much on our gifts, whenever we emphasize what's on the outside, what we're good at, what we find security in, we're like little kids that miss the value. The true value is not the external. The true value is internal. The true value is love. And we show our spiritual immaturity when we don't truly grasp that. when we focus on externals, when we emphasize our gifts, when we boast in how well we perform, when we're preoccupied with ourselves, we show that we lack a true understanding of how important love really is. And Jesus said it's even more dangerous than that. When you think in spiritual terms, Jesus said that when people come to him on that day, on that day of judgment, some people are going to say to Jesus, Jesus I had these gifts. Did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? I had all these gifts. Did did I not do all these mighty works in your name? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. I had no relationship with you. All of those external things, they don't cut it. They don't truly matter. None of those external things are sufficient enough to gain entrance into heaven. I don't know you. We have no relationship with one another. That's why it's dangerous to locate so much emphasis in gifting. It's deceptive. How many people do you know? How many pastors of megachurches and minor churches? How many leaders that we respect come out that they have no true love. They have no true character. Gifting is not primary. And when we focus on that and we de-emphasize love, we're in trouble. We're asking the question, why? Why does Jesus have to come and do that to us? This is it, friends. We all have this tendency to emphasize on things that are of secondary importance. We have this tendency to emphasize things that bode well for us. We have this tendency to emphasize and to stress external things in ourselves. This is why Jesus had to come to activate a new way. He had to come to activate us in the way of love. You see, at Christmas, we see the very opposite of what we find here in Corinth. Philippians 2 tells us that although Jesus was equal with God, although he was with God, he was equal with God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Which means Jesus didn't cling selfishly to all of his gifts. Jesus didn't cling selfishly to all of his divine power. Jesus didn't cling to all of his praise, although those things were due to him. He didn't cling to that. He set those things aside. And at Christmas, he came to us to be a baby. And as far as prophecy goes, in the Christmas story, in the first two chapters of Matthew, four prophets are mentioned in just two short chapters. Isaiah, Hosea, Micah, and Jeremiah. Big-time prophets of the Old Testament, big-time gifting. These guys spoke prophetically to God's people. And by Jesus' coming, he fulfilled what they said, which means the entire gift of prophecy has been given to point us to Jesus. He fulfills prophecy. But not only that, he, who, who is a greater prophet than Jesus? Jesus. Who spoke God's word more effectively to God's people? Who understood more mysteries? Who understood more knowledge? Who had the type of faith? Who had the type of trust in God that he was able to move mountains, to heal people, to feed massive crowds, to raise people from the dead? Only Jesus. See, Jesus simultaneously was the most gifted and the most humble person ever to live. When it came to gifting, Jesus was lights out. And yet, simultaneously, he was the most humble man to ever live. How do those two things occupy the same space? How can incredible gifting and incredible humility occupy one man? Love. Jesus was not preoccupied with himself he wasn't using his gifts to prove his worth he wasn't using his gifts to impress other people he was using his gifts in love to serve all of us that's how he did that incredible gifting incredible humility melded together in love So again, we're asking the how question. How does Jesus' love activate ours in this way? Because Jesus loves us and performed in our place, we can stop trying to prove ourselves by the things that we do, by the gifting that we have, the emphasis we place on externals. We can stop that. Jesus' love activates ours in this way. Because Jesus loves us and served us, giving his very life on the cross, we can find forgiveness and freedom from our innate selfishness. That's where it's resolved. Our main problem, the main thing, one of the main reasons why our love isn't activated is because we're constantly consumed with me. Jesus sets us free from that. He forgives us of that. How does Jesus' love activate ours? Well, in this way, because Jesus loves us and sent his spirit to us, now we have all of the resources we need to go and to love others the way Jesus has loved us. That's how it works. That's how the love that came down at Christmas activates love in our hearts. You see, lots of people, and you know this just as well as I do, lots of people talk about love at Christmas. It's all over. Love is what we need more of. Love is what our world needs more of. And a lot of people do a lot of very loving things, right? Like, no joke. I mean, I'm not just saying that. Like, lots of people, Christians or not, do a lot of loving things this time of year. And it's great. It's one of the reasons why we all love Christmas, But you know as well as I do that it's not long before many of those things start to fizzle out and we go back to normal. I think it's because a lot of those loving activities are not rooted in Christ. Sinclair Ferguson said that who we are called to be and what we are called to do is rooted in who God is, and what he has done for us in Christ. Who we are called to be, the people we're called to be, and what we're called to do, to love, that's rooted in something that finds its vitality somewhere. It finds its life. It finds its energy. It finds its resource somewhere. Who we are called to be and what we are called to do is rooted in who God is, and what he has done for you in Jesus Christ. That's where all of our resources are found. That's how we are enabled to love the way Jesus calls us to love, the way 1 Corinthians 13 calls us to love. The resources that we need, friends, to love more than just at Christmas time, are found in Jesus Christ. They're rooted there. That's where we go. That's where we abide. That's where we dwell. Who we are called to be and what we're called to do is rooted in who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. I'm going to have the band return now. We're going to go back to singing in just a moment, but I want to to close with this. Thinking a lot about the holidays right now and in talking with some people, I just know not everything is really excited right now. And I I don't know how much in-person shopping we're all doing. Remember those days? Remember when we actually went out and bought things at the store? Well, you know how when you're done with your shopping, your Christmas shopping especially, it's a real drag when you go to the checkout and you see a bunch of signs that say, next register please. All these long lines and all these lines, all these registers are closed. Next, register, please. Now, Wawa tries to, like, put a smile on it and says, like, hey, I'm closed, but the person next to me will be happy to assist you. That's just a nice way of saying, I'm not, well, I'm not ready to help you. Wouldn't it be nice? Do you sometimes wish that you had a sign that you could wear that said, next, register, please? <laughs> I can think of a couple of moms that would love to have a next register please sign. Like someone else can make Christmas special. Someone else can do all the hard work. Someone else can do Someone else would be happy to assist you. But I'm closed. Next register please. And some of us might feel like that's how we're arriving to this holiday season. We're fried. The year's been hard energy is spent. And when I think about going to my family Christmas, I want to bring with me the next register please sign. I'm really not interested in engaging. I don't want to have one more conversation about politics. I don't want to have one more conversation about the coronavirus. I want to sit on the couch and just like watch TV or something. Next register please. I'm closed. You see, Jesus knows all about fatigue and weariness. Think about the time when, after a long day of hiking, John chapter 4 teaches us that Jesus was weary and tired from his journey. And he ran into a woman, a woman that most people would never want to talk to. He was tired. He was weary, but he didn't bust out his next register, please sign. He spoke with her. He spent time with her. He told her of a love that she could not find anywhere else. And not only her life, but an entire village was transformed that day. Friends, remember what Jesus can do in a moment of weariness. Remember what Jesus can do in a moment of fatigue. Remember what Jesus can do in a moment of weakness. You see, the love that 1 Corinthians 13 is calling us to is not a love that you can locate in yourselves. It's a love that can only be found in Jesus. And in the same way that he came down to us at Christmas, he's still coming down every moment of every day, he's still coming down, coming down, coming down to activate in us his love. It's not up to us. Jesus can do in your weakness, in your weariness, in my fatigue, incredible things. So as we return now to sing, let's ask him, let's pray right now with faith that God would actually do this, that Jesus would infuse his love into us to activate a love that doesn't come from ourselves, but it comes from Almighty God. Lord, I pray that you would do this. I know, Lord, I know that there are people in this room and gathered online that feel very weary. We would all love at times to put that sign around our necks. Next, register, please. We're done. We are out of service. And so what we need is an an activation. We need your Spirit's power. We need a love that comes only from you. Would you fill us afresh, even right now, Spirit of God, would you fill us, rush into our hearts, fill us afresh that we might be resting in the love of Jesus, that we might be comforted, that we might be filled with peace. And then out of that place of rest and spiritual health, would you help us to use the gifts that you've given to us to serve others in love? We need you, Lord. In this Advent season, would you fill us afresh and enable us to love the way you have loved us?